Rural McLean County residents tell a survey their internet service is too slow and unreliable. Internet is no longer a, a like to have, it is a must have for everybody within our communities. Hear what McLean County government wants to do to improve rural broadband. That's coming up on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm Lauren Warnicke in for John Norton. On today's show, a post-COVID need for speed is leading to rapid fire auto insurance rate increases. It is industry phenomena, it's not just a state farm. Many insurance companies raised their premium rate. How community health workers played a much more visible role during the pandemic. COVID-19 really brought out and allowed CHWs to be recognized for the work that they're doing. Plus the latest in our Black History essays. All that after a Bloomington Normal news update. This is WGLT's Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Bill McKay. They're all doctors of audiology, knowing that they've got the background to do a, a, a complete evaluation and not just sell hearing aids. It's they make that connection for you. Bill's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine Sound Ideas. I'm Lauren Warnicke, in for John Norton. A survey of McLean County residents say their internet service isn't fast or reliable enough. WGLT's Eric Stock reports on what the survey says and what the county plans to do about it. Less than one-third of respondents in rural McLean County say they were satisfied with their internet service. That's according to a survey county government ran earlier this year. McLean County Assistant Administrator Anthony Grant called the survey results eye-opening. Internet is no longer a, a like to have, it is a must have for everybody within our communities. Most respondents say they've had to rely on cellular data for internet service on occasion, and that service is often too slow and unreliable. A vast majority were describing internet quality for their home, but the survey also included businesses. Farmers make up a big chunk of that. Anna Ziegler, assistant manager for the McLean County Farm Bureau, says many farmers have moved to precision agriculture that relies heavily on technology to reduce waste and maximize production. There's things in the tractors and the combines that measure yields, that measure how much is being applied where, um, and then being able to gather all that data and then load it into a cloud-based service so that at your home office you can do the detailed analysis you need to do. Ziegler says the digital divide between urban and rural areas has widened over time and it became more evident during the pandemic. I think COVID amplified the disparity that already existed because more people were home, working from home, doing school from home, and um, it really revealed that internet service is not adequate in the rural areas. Ziegler noted the recent fire at Olympia Middle School and High School that forced the rural school district to go back to remote learning for a short time. The survey also shows people relying on the internet at home for much more than Netflix, as Anthony Grant from McLean County Government explains. One of the biggest survey responses that surprised me was that 79% of our respondents actually indicated they use uh, the internet for healthcare services and telehealth services. Uh, that's one area that I do not foresee us ever going back to the way things were before the pandemic. Grant says the survey also shows many rely on home internet for job training and education. 
McLean County has established a working group that's talking with more than a dozen Internet service providers in the county about how to expand service. Anna Ziegler with the McLean County Farm Bureau says early estimates put the cost at $50,000 per mile to run fiber optic cable, and there are wireless options too. If this was easy, it would have been done already. So we know this is going to be a challenge, and cost is a big factor in that. McLean County Assistant Administrator Anthony Grant says the county will look to hire a consultant to conduct a feasibility study later this year. Then the county will seek funding from the federal infrastructure law and Illinois' competitive broadband grants. And he says it may also take county money to provide the incentive for the Internet providers to go into areas they have largely avoided. Certainly that's going to require financial assistance for some of these organizations and companies because they would already be doing it if it was profitable to run those lines out there. But Grant says the county expects a big return on investment. A U.S. Department of Agriculture report estimates rural broadband would give an economic boost of $13 million annually to McLean County. I'm Eric Stock. McLean County plans to file for state and federal funding as soon as next year. Well, coming up on Sound Ideas tomorrow, developers are planning a major housing project near downtown Bloomington. We'll bring you all those details and the next in our profiles of McLean County history makers. We will talk with Lincoln historian Guy Fraker. That's on tomorrow's show. Starting next month, State Farm's auto insurance customers in Illinois will see their rates go up again for the fourth time in less than a year. That's raised the average cost about $200. Many of State Farm's competitors are also raising rates, and that's led to some whiplash for customers who saw refunds and rate cuts during the pandemic as people drove less, crashed less, and submitted fewer claims. And it's stoked interest among lawmakers in Illinois in tightening control of how and when companies can raise rates. Yayuan Ren is an associate professor of risk management and insurance at Illinois State University. In this interview with WGLT's Ryan Denham, Ren says those pandemic-era rate cuts actually set the stage for today's rapid-fire rate increases. Ren says State Farm's four straight rate increases are unprecedented in recent history. State Farm report a huge loss in 2022. They reported an underwriting loss of $13 billion. Yeah, the CEO of State Farm said this is the largest underwriting loss in their 100-year history. And for comparison, in 2021, they made underwriting loss of $4.7 billion. And in 2020, that's when the pandemic starts. They had a underwriting gain of $2 billion. So the 2022, it's really a bad year. It's State Farm's policy, it's severely underpriced. They have to raise premium rate to rectify the situation. So are other auto insurance companies doing this as well? Are we seeing a lot of, yes, of auto rate it's increases? Industry. Yes, it is industry phenomena. It's not just a State Farm. Many insurance companies raised their premium rate in 2022, including State Farm's competitors like Geico, all, all states. So yeah. why is this happening? There are many multiple reasons for the rising uh, auto uh, claim cost. In short, the main reasons are, I think, the pandemic. The lasting impact of pandemic may be greater than we had initially expected, a higher loss severity in 2022. The pandemic changed the driving behavior of people. 
when people drive on the almost empty road, um, they drive at a higher speed. Uh, in 2000, starting in 2021, when cars come back to road, according to a report, people still drive at elevated speed uh, compared to the years prior to pandemics. So the higher speed leads to a more severe car accident. So the severity of the, the, the car crack. Uh, car accident is a higher. Another reason why the auto uh, claim cost, uh, the severity, loss of severity is higher is the escalating uh, repairing cost for autos. There are more uh, new vehicles that they installed with enhanced uh, safety features like the, the camera and sensors, and it's cost more to repair them. So for example, uh, previously, it cost about $800 to repair a smashed rear fender, but now it often required the car sent to dealer uh, to uh, reinstall the camera, the sensor, and also need to uh, adjust, adjust and test the software. So they need to send to a dealer and the whole process can easily cost over $2,000. What about inflation? How does that kind of factor into to auto rate increases? Not just inflation, but also the supply chain challenge. Uh, it's often take a longer time to waiting for an auto part. And also there are limited qualified laborers to repair cars. Um, so it's take longer to repair cars and it costs more. So the inflation supply chain challenges, they all contribute to the high insure, a high auto insurance cost. One more is the rising medical cost. Insurance company also pay for um, medical uh, uh, medical cost med um, it, because someone may be injured in a car accident. Now, because of the inflation and the short of labor, the medical cost has risen a lot uh, in the past few years. What can consumers do about this? Have we noticed any change in consumer behavior more shopping around or people changing their coverages to lower their, their overall price? I would say this is an industry-wide issue. So most insurance companies um, raised their premium rate, uh, but uh, customers can certainly shop around for better price. Now, this market is a pretty competitive. They're, I believe they're always a better price. Uh, I read an article saying that uh, although most of uh, the top auto insurance companies raise their premium rate progressive. Uh, that is also a top auto insurance company. They recently uh, cut their premium rate. So yeah, so customers may shop around and finding a better price. But overall, yeah, it's uh, inflation, the impact of inflation, it's everywhere. I don't see the premium rate will, uh, will come back or become lower in near future. Here in Illinois, uh, state lawmakers are, are considering a bill that would give the Illinois Department of Insurance more regulatory control over rate increases. Instead of just giving notice of a rate increase, insurers like State Farm might have to actually get approval for a rate increase, or there'll be some formal review of a proposed rate increase. First off, is, is that how it works in, in other states where regulators have a bit more control over over rate setting? Auto insurance industry, it's uh, highly regulated. So, and the insurance company, when they raise their premium rate, they need to file a request, a rate increase, the request, and get approved by insurance commissioners. 
So the whole process, it's a, the 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 rate falling process, it's pretty restrictive. It happens very often that one insurance company requests, for example, ten percent increase their premium rate, but the insurance commissioners, the insurance regulators, may only approve, for example, eight percent. Well, it's it's insufficient to cover uh, the the actuary cost. So the that's often leads to additional rate falling. So for example, if a state farm, they target in total 30% premium uh, increase to cover their rising cost, they may take multiple steps. So to take, may take multiple rate falling to uh, increase the rate to meet their target. That's Yayuan Ren, an associate professor of risk management and insurance at ISU. She spoke with WGLT's Ryan Denham. In a statement, State Farm says that, quote, inflationary pressures and supply chain issues, along with higher claim costs, are driving rate changes. We continue to adjust to these trends to make sure we are matching price to risk. The chief sponsor of the bill to change how auto insurance is regulated in Illinois says the bill won't be ready for a vote this spring. He says he'll be working to educate his colleagues on the issue and bring it back in a future session. The work of community health workers often goes unnoticed, but the COVID pandemic changed that. They were on the front lines of the healthcare system, serving as liaisons to help people get the care they need. Whether that was COVID testing or vaccines or treatment or the many other health outcomes that disproportionately impacted those most in need. Tracy Smith is Director of Community Health at the Illinois Public Health Association. Smith tells WGLT's Eric Stock the skills of community health workers were widely underutilized before the pandemic, and now she sees an opportunity for that sector of the healthcare system to grow. We've had community health workers for decades in um, the United States and in other countries, um, they utilize CHWs, but they haven't always been recognized. Um, they've kind of went, they were behind the scenes doing such great work, but COVID-19 really brought out and allowed CHWs to be recognized for the work that they're doing and um, identified like we need to help continue this because they were very vital during COVID-19 in getting individuals, helping to get individuals vaccinated, helping to get individuals to the services they needed to be able to survive during the, the pandemic. And broadly speaking, healthcare workers seem to be questioned quite a bit during the pandemic, questions about their qualifications, their expertise. Patients maybe read or heard something somewhere that told them not to believe what they were being told. How big of an issue was that and how did community health workers navigate that? So community health workers were the ones who were helping when those questions came out. So again, this is where having that trusted person within your community that maybe is your neighbor, right, that you could go to and say, I'm reading this and I don't know what to believe or I don't know how to interpret it or what does it mean? Community health workers could actually sit down with them over tea and talk about that. So they were actually helping healthcare, other healthcare workers who were getting that kind of pushback the CHWs were on the other side trying to help to address those concerns and questions and bring information to the community. There's a nationwide shortage of healthcare workers, and that's a concern across all industries. But what about community health workers specifically? 
So we have community health workers that are, are wanting to work. Our biggest challenge has been in our state and in the nation is a payment model for community health workers. So while you have a payment model for nursing, you have a payment model for physicians, you have a payment model for OTs, R, you know, RTs across the board, right? All those healthcare professionals. We do not in the state and in most states in the nation have a payment model for the work that they do. So CHWs have been surviving by grants, by philanthropic support, by sometimes hospitals or agencies taking a little bit of money and putting it aside for them. What we are working towards is a billable model for CHWs just like you have for what physicians provide or those types of services. The shortage for us starts more upstream um, we have community members who are wanting to be community health workers. So the great thing about that is if we can get community health workers trained, we can help fill where this other shortages are happening. We can work with social workers because so many social workers are not getting to do and practice at the top of their license and their training. Instead, they're having to deal with some of the social determinants of health and the other needs that clients have. So if you can put a CHW in place who can do that work, you'll have social workers then who can be working at the top of their license and we can start to have the mental health services we need because those mental health providers are not having to deal with some of the downstream needs of clients as much. So where will that billing come from and how do you go about changing that funding model? So currently in the state of Illinois, a um, state advisory group has been set up that is meeting um, Every quarter, we're going to monthly meetings shortly, we believe, but the state of Illinois has put that in the hands of the Illinois Department of Public Health. Um, in the Black Caucus, uh, about a year and a half ago, the bill that was passed called for us to move forward with a CHW standardized training that would lead then to a, a certification, which will then lead to a billing model. So we are on the road to that process. Um, what we have to do is just put some of the final pieces in place. So between ITCHWA, which is, a is the Illinois Community Health Worker Association here in the state, Illinois Department of Public Health, and other allies like Illinois Public Health Association, we're moving that needle towards that payment model. It's just the process of getting everything lined up in the state. That was Tracy Smith from the Illinois Public Health Association with WGLT's Eric Stock. The statewide association hosted its annual Community Health Worker Summit in Normal, its first large formal gathering since the pandemic. The association has since received state and federal funding to address ongoing health disparities in several areas, including the early detection of Alzheimer's disease among vulnerable populations, access to HIV and AIDS screenings, and treatment and preventative MPOX resources in rural communities. Bloomington primary and secondary school students have taken inspiration from a variety of black leaders in the nation's history. They range from well-known civil rights leaders to entertainers with important voices and pioneering educators. WGLT is airing the voices of the students who have won awards in the City of Bloomington Black History Essay Contest. Today, we'll hear from 16-year-old Madison Hawkins. Hawkins is a sophomore at Normal Community High School and the third place essayist in the high school category. Education is important no matter how old you are. We all learn new things daily. Back then, it was harder for black people to become educated. Most didn't get to go to college. Most couldn't finish. 
but it took one African-American woman to be the first black woman in history to get a bachelor's degree. That woman just so happens to be Mary Jane Patterson. Mary Jane Patterson was born September 12, 1840, in Riley, North Carolina. She was born into slavery along with her family. At a ripe age, she and her family moved to Oberlin, Ohio. Just at 17 years old, she completed a full year of preparatory coursework at Oberlin College. She then continued four more years of education to get her bachelor's degree. After college, Mary wanted to teach. She was later in her years going to become a teacher. She was not only the first black woman with a bachelor's degree, but the first African-American to become a principal at the public high school for colored children in 1871. Mary has become a very influential woman, becoming one of the most succeeding women in African-American history. I think that Mary is a big part of society today. She challenged a system that once told us we weren't smart enough. She's proven not once, but many times, as black people, women, men, and children, that we can become anything we want to become. She has given a great example to the youth that no matter what people say, we are more than capable of following our dreams. She beat the stereotypes and kept her head up when everyone doubted her. Mary has inspired me to keep my head up and finish school. I feel like these are the things we should really learn about in history books. Mary Jane is a great example to not only me, but every last person of color to continue school no matter how challenging it can be. She has shown me that the impossible can become possible. She is a role model, not only for being African-American, but for being a woman. Society creates its own version of how women are and should be. We are degraded, underestimated, and held back. Mary created her own perspective. Black women can do it all. This is important not only because Mary has finished college, but it shows that we are achievers. She impacted the world by finishing college as a black woman. Today, more than 41% of African Americans have their bachelor's degree or higher. This is important because at one point in time, we weren't allowed to go to school. Now, we are not only going to school, we're getting our degrees, making history, and creating new ways to live. Children in the world should know, you are more than capable of doing what you love. School is very important no matter how boring it may seem. You can do anything you want in life. Don't let others be a reason for stopping what you love. Don't give up. Be a Mary Jane. Keep your head high and your mind set. That's Madison Hawkins, a sophomore at Normal Community High School and one of the winners of the City of Bloomington Black History Essay Contest. The reading of Hawkins' speech was produced by WGLT's Charlie Schlenker. Well, thanks for choosing WGLT's Sound Ideas, made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm Lauren Warnicke, in for John Norton. The show was produced today by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 WGLT and WGLT.org, part of the NPR Network.